advocate for a multi-deliverable scope of work. Don't agree to a one set of Instagram stories or one reel or one-off of anything. One-offs will do nothing because influencer marketing, the benefit to it is it's storytelling. At the end of the day, these influencers are telling a story about the brand, about their experience with the brand, and about what they might assume their community will experience with the brand. A story, if it's meaningful, lasts a long time. You are listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast, hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? A great question. And sure, it's going to be a good time and there's going to be a great conversation. And you know what? There's going to be a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get the pleasure to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. In this episode, we are chatting about how to connect influencers with performance marketing with Lily Comba. A little bit about Lily. She is a true trailblazer in the world of branding and marketing with a career spanning nearly a decade. She has left an indelible mark on the industry, having worked her magic at renowned companies like Thrive Market and Seed. What really sets Lily apart is her unique perspective on success in branding. She's not just about the numbers and the bottom line. She's also about relationships. And anybody who knows me knows I love relationships. She's pioneered some of the most effective influencer and affiliate marketing strategies, emphasizing a relationship-first approach that has not only generated hundreds of millions in revenue, but also reshapes the way brands value their partners and their customers. So let's get to it. Let's talk marketing with Lily. Lily, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. Super excited to have you on here. We're going to dive into a topic I know we're both passionate about, but I'm so excited to have you on here as a guest today. Me too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, let's dive into it. I want the audience to get to know you a little bit better. Okay, so let's start with what was your first marketing role or what you would define as your first marketing role? And then we're going to look at what your current role is now. So what was your first marketing role? I would say I did some marketing things throughout college, but my first job out of college, I was in an assistant account executive for an out-of-home advertising company. <laughs> so billboards, bus shelters, digital, static, buying a billboard in the middle of Kansas kind of thing, you know. We had a lot of really cool clients. I admittedly was not very good at my first job. I don't think anyone really is, but it gave me a pretty good understanding of what like the ad agents, what the mad men were all, the ad agents. Yeah. Like. And throughout my first job, I kind of realized through various side hustles and just like part-time work that I would do when I would get home just to continue like honing on skills that I might not have been exercising during at my full-time job. I realized that I had a knack for business development and partnerships. And so that was where I wanted to take my career next after my that first job in out-of-home advertising. <laughs> well, I think it's good to know that area of it because as much as we all live in such a digital world. Out of home is still, it's still surprisingly a thing, which yeah. I know, 
that's kind of interesting. I think even more so now I'm in Sacramento. So I see it in like buildings next to the freeway, right? So it's almost like any blank space is where out of home is going to be at. So it's great that you got your start there. But where are you at now? What, what are you doing now? Right now, I am the CEO of a influence marketing agency. So <laughs> quite the change from going to buy, you know, purchasing media on a billboard to working with influencers. But this was recent. I'm in partnership with the team over at Superfiliate. The agency is called Superbloom. And we are really looking to help brands optimize their creator programs, whether or not that's affiliates, so commission-based partners or traditional influencers that are of various different sizes and of various different fees. That is the kind of the word of mouth channels is our area of expertise. And so we're really focusing on brands. I think the methodology that I've honed in on over the last few years working in influencer marketing, it's a very educational approach. And I think a lot of brands will work with an influencer marketing agency that kind of serves as like a matchmaker. But if you're a brand that is getting a list of 30 influencers and you don't know what to look for, you're going to be at a disadvantage regardless of how well-intentioned that agency is. And so my goal with this agency is to incubate and teach, whether it's an in-house team or if we serve as an in-house team, to really educate our marketing peers at the brand on influencer marketing best practices, how to do it right in a way that will drive serious revenue and also make really healthy, strong relationships along the way. And we're going to dive into all of, <laughs> all that, really connecting influence marketing and performance marketing. But before that, I want to better understand what do you love about what it is that you currently do? But conversely, what would you pluck out if you could pluck anything out? So let's start with the positive. What do you love about what you do? I love that this side of marketing, acquisition marketing, growth marketing is all anchored in the human experience. You could make an argument that all of marketing is anchored in the human experience. You're trying to market to humans. We're not marketing to aliens or robots just yet. But with influencer marketing, it's not an ad set that you're pushing on meta. It's not a commercial on TV. It is a human being that you have the privilege of working with in a partnership And I like to say that the intentionality that you approach those relationships with is the intentionality that will create a community of creators that are your brand's evangelists. So that's why I love it. I get to work with people. (laughs) Yeah. And it is a people business. It is a people business. And I would actually argue that I don't know that all of marketing is looked at as like a people business. It should, but it isn't. So But what would you pluck out if you could pluck anything out? I think, honestly, like the politics of it all. I think that talent agents are very well-intentioned. And there are some fantastic talent agents out there. And I am fortunate enough to work with, I think, some of the best talent agents. But the talent agency kind of model is... I wouldn't say outdated, but it, it can oftentimes inhibit a creator's ability to connect with brands they could love and potentially could love because it's very much, it's starting to get a little too transactional where, you know, at my time at Seed and Thrive Market, we really wanted our influencers to try the product before they even thought about a scope of work because it's really important that they, but a lot of talent managers now want to see a signed contract before the partner even tries the product, which doesn't make sense to me. So if I could pluck out the 
money hungry element of the industry, I would. <laughs> yeah. I'm not afraid to spend money, but don't potentially damage a really wonderful opportunity for your partner or for your creator by trying to get a bigger cut or having spend minimums. <laughs> yeah, I also love your approach. And I just, I we want them to try it out because that's also how you get the authentic content. You want someone to actually be a brand advocate, not someone who's just plugging something because it's a people business. Their audience can tell, I know that you don't use XYZ products. Like I know that you're just, they've paid you for something like that. Wouldn't it be so great if it was just in, ingrained in their everyday life, in their post? And it wouldn't just be like a product placement. There's really good examples that I've seen of some creators that I follow where I'm like, oh, well, when you're talking about your content, maybe I'm thinking of a specific products where they're like, they're drinking whatever the product is. You can tell it's product placement, but I'm watching it because of the content, not because of the product. And I think that's a really fine line. I also think in influencer marketing, it is very much so the Wild West. And I think there are just as many like people who aspiring content creators or influencers and aspiring talent managers out there that you do have to weed out those ones that are the money hungry ones and develop those relationships with the talent managers. Because I I know a ton of talent managers who are opposite of that. Take like the nurturing and the empathetic approach. The good ones are so good. (laughs) Yeah. You yeah, know, it's, like it's an extreme yeah. good, which is fantastic. Yeah. And then the bad ones are, I mean, I wouldn't even say that they're bad because they're just doing what they have to do. And I respect that. But when there are too many restrictions placed on a partner, the intentionality gets smaller and smaller. The relationship gets smaller and smaller. And you don't want that. You want the opposite. You want the intentionality and the relationships to blossom and grow versus kind of dwindle away because you couldn't hit a spend minimum that the agency requires. Yeah, that's so true. And in this kind of digital world that we're in, social media is a huge part of it. So I'm wondering if you go to any social media networks for education, inspiration, or entertainment. And if so, which ones do you hit for that entertainment, inspiration, or education? Social media networks. I'm talking like TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter. (laughs) YouTube is my favorite creator platform. But I would say for... I take a lot of my inspiration offline. It's really helpful to be online, to be on TikTok and see what people are talking about. I think I take a lot of creative brief inspiration or creative approaches. I get inspiration for those by being online. So what is, get ready with me. (laughs) It's like a creative brief you could ask a partner to do. But like that, those kinds of movements or trends are, that's what I go online for. And then obviously for sourcing, I have way too many just screenshots of creators. I'll be like, they'd be good for so-and-so. Or like, this seems, this person's up and coming. Let's make sure to connect them early. So I take a lot of creativity inspiration from being online. But there's nothing like a good walk around the neighborhood or local park or just taking your calls while you're moving to get inspiration for like business related things. Developing like, oh, our agency should offer this. What if we built out a creator network within our agency? What if we did? It's there's nothing. I'm a big proponent of movement to find inspiration. And yeah, I think that just going on drives and going on walks, those are the two biggest avenues that I found, at least for myself, where I just, my mind is able to daydream a little bit. 
Well, and it makes sense for the business that you're in that you're leveraging social media for a very specific purpose, right? So you almost don't even have the luxury of looking at social media like any other mere mortal does. Yeah, but I mean, like I have to be on all of the social networks just to know what's going on. And I'm consistently like testing posting and like looking at analytics and all of this stuff on my stuff, but not because... I want to be an influencer, but because you do have to stay on top of things. I love the getting inspired with other campaign briefs. I'm also obsessed with Get Ready With Me, but also the Don't Get Ready With Me, I think is such Those a little Those are the best. Play. Get ready without yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get ready without me, and then we'll just come together. Excellent. So we talked about social media networks that you go for education, inspiration, and all that good stuff. But what do you do outside of keep moving, to stay up to date on trends because you do have to stay up to date on what's going on, I don't know, in the algorithm and the world. Do you subscribe to newsletters? Do you listen to podcasts? Are there books? Like, where do you go to stay up to date? I'm a part of quite a few like influencer marketer groups. I guess you could say networks or groups. And I think that's the biggest. And if influencer marketing were talked about as much as more traditional formats. I think that they're, I've never been a big podcast person just in general. (laughs) I know what the irony. The last six months I have though, I, it, because I'm starting to like get it. I'll listen to a podcast while I'm walking and something in that interview will inspire an idea. So I've gotten, when starting the agency, I've gotten way more in the lead podcasts and specifically podcasts by our, by partners. So if an influencer has a podcast, listening to their podcast, because when you're hearing that creator speak an interview, you pick up information about them that can further support them in campaigns. And so I am obsessed with making sure that our the creators that I work with feel supported and happy. Like that is the only way you can have a, a healthy influencer program is when you care about the person on the other side. And so that's where peers in your space is really helpful. If not just to see what their strategies are and their approaches are just to make friends in the space because we're all in this together. That's really important. But becoming immersed, borderline obsessed with just understanding who your creators are in and out is really valuable. Show up for them on their, subscribe to their podcast, subscribe to their YouTube channel, like subscribe to their new channel that they launched on Instagram because there's like the channels thing now. Be there for the people that really matter and listen to them and just absorb all that you can directly from influencers and directly from influencer marketers. That's true. I feel like you've got to surround yourself with this entire world and the creator economy where you've got to be obsessed with the next potential influencer, what it is that they're saying. I also love the idea of listening to all of their podcasts because it's true. There are a lot of people that have podcasts now. Yes, that's so true. That's so true. And there's so much they say in between the question and the answer that gives you so much more insight as to who they are and also whether or not they truly align with your brand as well too. And what they're interested in. Like as now yeah. that I'm on an agency side, when I was at Seed prior, I would be listening to watching YouTube channels and podca- and listening to podcast episodes and 
if someone was talking about like gut health or their struggles with growth, where I was like, a quality probiotic will help this person. Then it's, I listen to your, when you reach out to that creator, I listen to your podcast episode at this timestamp. I noticed you mentioned this. I think this product would be really helpful for you. But now that I have an agency, there are multiple clients where I'm like, this would be really good for so-and-so. That part partner mentioned something about this. Okay. It's all about connecting dots. That's all we do as influencer marketers is connect dots. <laughs> well, really good ones are all yeah. about connecting dots. Because I also think there are a lot of people who think that they can do it in the same way that there are a lot of people who think that they can do social media for a brand just because they post on social media. And to me, they're so different. Hopefully that doesn't make me sound in any sort of way. I do just, I have so much respect for anything that's on social. It's not as easy as it looks. There are a lot of people that want to be able to do that, especially with influencer marketing as well. But to be able to do it well, it takes the right personality, also takes the right mindset. You've already said this too. It's all about building those relationships, right? What you've described about taking time to listen to someone's podcast, making it like, think about how much time that is. And that's for one creator, but man, that creator knock it out of the park. And you've seen a ton of success with that, which is why we're going to, let's talk marketing. Let's talk specifically. I brought you on here to talk about influencer marketing, but more specifically to talk about connecting the performance marketing and influencer marketing. Because I do think that's a big gap for any marketer because I believe that influence marketing can feed the entire marketing strategy. You just have to connect the dots. Let's see, all full circle. I do want to start with just the basics because I want everybody who's listening to understand what we're talking about when we say influencer marketing. So how do you describe what an influencer is? What's, what is influencer marketing? Influencer marketing is the opportunity for a brand to partner with people, creators. I think influencers hate being called influencers, which is funny because the industry hasn't figured out an alternative term for them yet. I say content creators. Influencers are content creators. They are inspiring their community based on the cohort they align with. If you are a lifestyle creator, you are inspiring people based on your lifestyle. If you are a fitness creator, you're inspiring people because you have a fitness platform and you're giving tips and you're an example to them for something. Influencers serve as like these examples. They can be aspirational. They can be relatable. They can be challenging. <laughs> they can be supportive. They're humans. They're people. So influencer marketing is just leveraging the human experience and getting to support small businesses along the way. Because if you think about it, content creators are just small businesses themselves. I don't think that enough people think of them enough like as small businesses, but they're all entrepreneurs, those that are successful and have are leveraging their platform to do something, right? To be able to like connect with other people. Now, within influencer marketing, what tactics do you think make influencer marketing as a strategy successful? I think that you've already mentioned one, which is building relationships. To me, that is a tactic. You, you being able to connect truly with whoever's on your roster, right? And developing that community. But what other kind of tactics do you think will help? Yeah, in order to really... And I can also go back to your other question about performance. So my experience, I was hired by Seed Health Probiotics in 2020 to launch and oversee their influencer program. And by the time that I left, had overseen $20 million in total influencer budget, but I had also overseen 
upwards of $100 million in return for in revenue, which is a crazy, it's a great CPA, it's a great ROAS. And so influencer marketing and influencers can be an acquisition channel. And it was the same thing at Thrive Market as well. So before I was at Seed, I was at Thrive Market for close to four years. I was on the influencer team there as well. Both of those programs were very focused on new customer acquisition and performance. And so building a really thoughtful influencer program obviously requires the first touch is if you're looking to hire an influencer marketer or looking to hire an agency, it starts with the quality of that relationship. So like, how do you approach the partner from that very first DM or that very first email? That sets the stage for a future relationship. And then to really unlock performance within that relationship, you get into the, the nitty gritty and you get into the weeds of the analytics and the insights of their various platforms. There's certain things that you certain backend analytics that you want to ask for Instagram, certain specific analytics you want to ask for YouTube, podcast and TikTok and newsletter, blog and so on and so forth until the, the next social media platform is out there. <laughs> but that vetting process is the arguably the most important step in securing an influencer partnership. It's making sure that you have enough data, analytics, and insights to make an informed decision about the scope of work you want to secure. And it's also, it helps you anchor your negotiations as well, because you see their engagement. You're able to predict what performance they might bring in based off of these insights and what you would reasonably feel comfortable paying them based on the engagement numbers that you're seeing. Okay, so I would say then a tactic is really ensuring that you are getting the data from the potential creators that you want to bring onto your roster. And every data point is slightly different depending on whatever platform it is, whether it's podcast or social media channel. Is there a basic, I don't want to ask for like a list of metrics, but what are you like, if there's nothing else other than these metrics to look at for social media, this is what you should look at as far as like success. And I would imagine it's not follower account, but maybe it is follower account in your opinion. So what kind of metrics advise people? Yeah, well, let's do all of the platforms. Spelling some of my secret, if you too want a program like, yeah. (laughs) So for Instagram, I think everyone knows that you can ask for demographic information, age, gender, location for all platforms. And that's important because you want to see if that creator's community is aligned with your ideal customer profile. Like seeds, it was older, a slightly older demographic, 25 and up, female predominant, based in the US. While we did ship internationally, we found people in America love to buy stuff. (laughs) So we we love the US majority audiences. But for Instagram specifically, you want to ask for screenshots, recent screenshots of their story views, their link clicks, their reach and impressions on reels. My biggest piece of advice for brands is if you are trying to be a direct response brand and you are trying to hit bottom, not just top of funnel, but bottom of funnel benefits for working with an influencer, work on stories. Forget about reels and forget about posts until you know that creator can come in at a CPA that's ideal for you. Instagram stories obviously have a clickable link. It's actionable. It's fast. And you can get reporting within 24 hours to know if that partner, you know, caused a lift on other channels or was successful on Instagram. With YouTube, you can ask for all the demographics, age, gender, location. One thing to know about YouTube is that it does tend to skew a little bit younger. Don't be afraid of that. The 21 and up is good on YouTube. If it's a predominantly 13 to 17, if you have a product that is geared towards that age demographic, great. 
but just don't be startled if you see younger audiences on YouTube. It's just a, an inherently more younger platform. But And then the big thing for YouTube and how you ultimately negotiate your deals is all based off of views and engagement. You can calculate average views. I always do that manually. First 10 videos on a YouTube channel. What is their view to subscriber ratio? Is it ideal? And then you can ask the creator to also send their all-time average views. You want to see the creator's average watch time. If they are creating videos that are 20 minutes long, but people are dropping off after two minutes, they don't really have a community. They have an audience. And so that is really what you're trying to assess. So you've average watch time. You also on YouTube want to see what is their subscriber versus non-subscriber watch ratio. If you see a community that is predominantly non-subscribers, it could be that the creator is very focused on making viral content or they've had content go viral and they haven't yet acquired (laughs) those people as part of their subscriber base just yet. That's a metric that you take with a grain of salt. If it's a 50-50 split, fine. But if it's 60-40, majority non-subscriber, I would just tread a little bit lightly with that community. With podcast, you can ask for demographics, but also get the difference between monthly downloads and impressions. Because going back to our earlier conversation, I go through phases with podcasts. So I'm subscribed to hundreds of podcasts, which count as a download. Do I listen to them? No. So downloads include the losers like me who don't listen to podcasts anymore, but now they're getting back into it. Whereas impressions are a more accurate read on who is listening to this show. And then the most bewildering of all is TikTok. I was waiting for you to get there. I'm like, is she going to touch it? The best for last. Yeah, I am obsessed with it, but it also, it's so cha- <laughs> it's so challenging. It really is. Because it's all so new that it is challenging. And then it's new. And then they're, I don't want to say they're reinventing, but I definitely think that they're adding so many different tools for the creators of creator space. Yeah, it's insane. So I think there's a bit of a learning curve, but what metrics should you look? Yeah, demographics. Now, if I think YouTube is a younger audience, TikTok is a whole other ballgame. So always check on age, gender, location, demographics on TikTok. And the creator can show you average. Views are really easy to get on TikTok. And don't look at views as much as you want to look at likes, comments, and saves. And the creator can send you their averages. Because you, again... All of these metrics help you assess is does this person have an audience or does this person have a community? Communities convert. Audiences don't give a flying crap about what you're selling. I love that you've made that distinction between audience and community because it is very true. Like it's, I think that's where there are a lot of brands who are looking for a little bit like the big follower count. That would be the audience. The engagement is like the community that's truly engaging that. What's that percentage? Yeah look like. I don't really care a ton about follower size. Seeds program and the programs that I've run in the past have all been very macro and in larger creators and larger fees and larger partners. But I couldn't even tell you the follower size of the top 10 creators for Seeds. I don't even look at that. I look at their engagement. I look at who they are as a person and do they have a community that loves them? That's all that I care about. That's all that any influencer marketer should really care about. That's so true. I do want to unpack something that you had said before, and that is the cost per acquisition, which I think is, that's a juicy metric, right? And that is a very performance marketing metric to look at. Correct me if I'm wrong. When it comes to influencers, you've got promo codes and then you've got the links that you can track. And that is something that you can calculate 
that cost per acquisition. Is there something else, though, that we're missing? I know that there are a lot of brands who are out there who are like, okay, I don't have a link. I can't track that. Like, how can I still prove that influencer marketing is a success? Those kinds of KPIs or goals are very brand specific. I would love nothing more than to just have influencers get have click KPIs, (laughs) brand awareness KPIs. It's funny because on the one hand, I'm like, it would be so nice to just have fewer goals for an influencer program. But I'm also very driven by goals, especially if they're unachievable. Give me something that's impossible and let me show you that it is possible, which is essentially what we did at Seed. So it really is dependent on what is the focus you want to give your influencers. If you're going for more brand like awareness driving, top of funnel, and those are the benefits that you're looking for with influencer marketing, you better come prepared with a really cool campaign and have it all go live on the same day or within the same few days because you can prolong brand awareness campaigns, but it feels like a moment when it happens around the same time. You have 10 creators one day, 30 the next, five the next. You want it and it feels very unifying. That is what really brings high clicks and high click through for a brand awareness focused campaign is when you do these like sprints almost, sprint and pause. Whereas if you have a very growth focused <laughs> community of influencers, which love hate relationship, it's got to be every day. It's not just a surge in sync. It is always on. And so a lot of the big KPIs that you'll see within influencer program is CAC, so CAC, which is inclusive of It can be inclusive of agency fees on top of influencer fees, and it might be slightly higher because it's inclusive of what is the support that we have. It's all fees, all included, at least in my experience. And then CPA was like very much specific to the creator. It's like, how much did we pay this person and how many code redemptions did we see from their campaign? We paid them $10,000. We're hoping to see 100 customers. That's a $100 CPA. Did they hit that? (laughs) That was like, that's the... Over my eight years of influencer marketing, that has always been my big KPI is CPA. What did we pay? What did we get? (laughs) And then obviously what you get is a reflection of how you support the creator, give them creative inspiration constantly. You don't give them restrictions. You give them guidelines. You really let them do their thing and make sure that they have enough of an understanding of the brand that they can be super confident in their campaigns. And then one that's like, oh, has always been a KPI, but is definitely becoming more prevalent is ROAS, which is basically just return. (laughs) Return on your investment. How much did we pay this partner versus how much revenue did they drive? And that is a huge topic because a lot of brands, their first month of testing influencer marketing, they're like, we're going to get a 2x, 3x ROAS. And I say, we'll try. (laughs) In my years of experience, it is really uncommon to see you will, in an ideal world, hit a one-point ROAS. What you put out, you brought in. And that's just from a revenue perspective. You can't really measure the benefit of your first month of influencer marketing because now you've entered the industry. Now you've entered the space and micro-creators are noticing that these influencers that they look up to are working with the brand. So now they want to join that affiliate program and also work with that brand. There are benefits beyond measure with working with influencers. Like if you're hiring... Every person I interviewed at my previous jobs was like, oh, I heard about the company from so-and-so influencer. There are these things that you just can't measure (laughs) about working with influencers. And ROAS 
you have to build up to it. Just same with CPA. Your CPA might be really high that first month. Do not let that worry you because influencers are a momentum play. You have to build off of the last month's momentum and keep growing and keep scaling or at least keep it consistent in order for it to be successful. Those are some KPIs I've seen in my day. (laughs) (laughs) Those are are a lot and it's definitely a lot to digest. So I want to focus on the growth part because while I don't want to ignore brand awareness, I think when it comes to, I'm a marketer, my budget's always been cut. I'm always having to prove my existence means something like let's, and I think with influencer marketing, it becomes even more challenging. So if that creator is not going to bring in the revenue, let's cut it. Let's cut this program. It's not working. And you brought up something really great in regards to the timing of it, right? It is a momentum play. I always like to say influencer marketing is people SEO. That's what it is. You have to build up to whatever it is that you're going, that you're seeking to get like that ultimate objective. But when we're looking at growth, how much time is enough time to give a particular creator to see if they are going to be revenue generating down the line? Does that question make sense? I'm thinking less of the overall program, but more of like, all right, now I'm the influencer marketing manager. I've got, let's pretend I just have 10 people, right? But let's pretend I have 10 people. Like, and I have to report to you, what do you want to know? Like, how long should I give this creator a chance to bring in revenue? What can I expect and all of that stuff? So what does timeline look like for an individual creator? I think creators, this is advice for creators directly, advocate for a multi-deliverable scope of work. Don't agree to a one set of Instagram stories or one reel or one off of anything. One off will do nothing because influencer marketing, the benefit to it is it's storytelling. At the end of the day, these influencers are telling a story about the brand, about their experience with the brand and about what they might assume their community will experience with the brand. A story, if it's meaningful, lasts a long time and you want the story to continue building. You want there to be a prequel, a sequel, whatever. You want there to be this prolonged exposure because I think it's a really outdated marketing phrase, but it takes someone 10 times to see a brand in order to buy a product. That is so true. And it takes time. And there are diamonds in the rough influencers where you work with them and their first campaign drives 2000 code redemptions. Those are very few and far between. Those are the exception, not the rule. Correct. Exactly. (laughs) I can name three people in my eight years of experience who can do that. Maybe five. I've worked with hundreds of influencers. And so if there's a growth marketer out there that's, ah, we got to cancel this contract. Our first campaign didn't work. Wait, it's okay. (laughs) Maybe reach out to the creator and see, hey, your first campaign didn't work very well. Let's work together to optimize the creative execution of your second campaign. Don't cut them loose because... It's like going on a first date and it went well, but it wasn't as great as you wanted it to be. And so you never go on a second date. You're really limiting your options if you don't continue to test and try and experiment. And as a brand, my advice is if you're booking Instagram stories, book two sets, have one go live in September, have one go live in October, distribute it out to minimum, two deliverables of anything at minimum, because then you at least have two months worth of content and you can see how well that first campaign performs, modify and change whatever you need to for month two to be more successful than month one. 
but don't take a one and done kind of approach to influencer marketing or else you're going to, your reputation is going to feel very dismissive of those relationships. And you don't want to be a brand that is dismissive in the creator economy. I absolutely agree. I'm also realizing that we're running out of time, but I do want to dive in just one more thing before we kind of wrap it up. And that has to do with the content that you mentioned, right? Okay, it's great to be able to have the content post at different times. But then I would imagine it's also about keeping the content or maybe being able to leverage it as a brand to then even further connect performance with influencer marketing. Like what kind of advice do you have for the influencer marketing manager, anybody that's running a program for like how you can show that one content piece that you got or maybe the group of content pieces that you received from influencers is driving performance and it is driving revenue, even though it's not directly like the traffic coming in from that particular creator influencer. So how do you tie content success with performance marketing? So I am a data nerd. And so creative approach is one of the metrics that I began tracking during my time at Seed. We didn't really track that at at Thrive. They might be doing it now, but at Seed, it was one of the things where I was like, why did so-and-so's Instagram story, when she was talking about X benefit, crush it? And then the next month, she talked about something else and it flopped. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. So tracking, it might be nitty gritty to do so. But if you are not tracking the creative approach that the creator, did they do a get ready with me? Did they focus on the dermatological blend of Seed's Daily Symbiotic? Did they do a travel focus? What channel did they post on? What cohort are they a part of? Are they a rebooked or a test partner? You have to track each of those details for every single campaign that you work, that you book. And I think this is the performance mindset that I've just developed over the years. I look at the paid social team or the performance marketing team, like the meta nerds that I love. They are constantly iterating on creative, constantly. And so I learned from that. And I was like, our influencers, if they are just saying the same things over and over again, that's not going to be successful. And so you have to take it upon yourself to get inspired and constantly provide fresh ideas to your creators so they stay engaged. Because you can tell when an influencer is really over working with a brand. You can just tell. Like they've worked with you for so long, they haven't received any new creative or any new campaigns, and they're just burnt out. They're burnt out working with the brand that is not showing up for them in an intentional way. The best way to mitigate that and the best way to get really good performance from content is to support them. Not necessarily tell them what to do, but to support them and inspire them. I was just talking to a creator that I'm going to have as a guest on the podcast. And one of the things that she said was she'd mentioned just not wanting or not wanting, but she gets a lot of direction from like the brands that she works with. And I think like the bigger the brand, the more they hold their brand tight, which makes sense. But also it's very limiting to create if you're telling them what to say and you're putting the words just in their mouth. And that was one of the things that she was just like, I wish I just had a little bit more creative freedom to be able to deliver what I want to deliver, what I love about the product, which I think is really key. I also love that you put data behind content. I'm a content marketing nerd. I love influencer marketing. 
clearly we could seriously make this a two-hour podcast because I also have a million. Let's do a part two. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Because I also think the content marketing and influencer marketing, like to me, influencer marketing is a subset of content marketing, right? And I love that you're tracking the different types of like how that creative is put together. Because it's true. I think that if you have a structured way to be able to evaluate the qualitative information from creative, that can give you the quantitative information that you would normally get from impressions and all of its stuff. I know, right? (laughs) I know. We're both dead words and I do the exact same thing from a content marketing perspective because it's true. It's always, how do you know this ebook performs? Let me show you how many times it was open. Let me see how deep it is. Let me see how many ways I chopped it up and we use that information. So I'm, I, yeah, I'd love it. You have I really to be truly- obsessed with results in order yeah. to be good at influencer marketing. Yes. We also have to be flexible with those results. <laughs> She's slowly. I appreciate the flexibility at the end. Now, yeah. I've got one yeah. final question for you. Okay. For now, if you knew then what you know now, what's just the marketing advice that you give to yourself? Oh, man. It's like personal. And then prof- like I've got a personal Love answer it. and a professional answer. I think my personal is like, be patient, be patient. If you have a hunch that an idea is a good idea, do it. Figure out a way to make it happen. You might have a manager that says no or not now. Make it happen. Make it come to life in another way. Because if you do not believe in your hunches <laughs> and in your gut instincts, you are going to feel so limited. And I think that I was fortunate enough at Thrive and at Seed to have had leadership that was like, just do it. (laughs) Run the ship, run the show. Obviously, there were hurdles and issues along the way, minor details comparatively. Be patient. And I guess that could be also professional too. With influencer marketing, you have to be patient. And I think the recommendation about booking a longer term contract, at least two deliverables minimum, comes from this idea of patience. You have to be patient with yourself and with the channel. And I just wish that I knew that, honestly, back in the early days at Seed too, it will work out if you want it to. I love it. You have dropped some serious knowledge bombs and I absolutely (laughs) appreciate it. I appreciate you for letting me take so much of your time and for us both speaking out on data, influencer marketing. I love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you guys found that just as informative as I did. I think it's really tough to, well, I shouldn't say it's really tough. As marketers, we're always chasing attribution. It is what it is. That is the nature of the beast. And I think the challenge with anybody that is leveraging content or influencer marketing is to tie it back to performance marketing. So lots of learnings from this episode. I've got my key takeaways for you though. So do not fret. I will dive into it. Number one, influencer marketing requires a combination of data-driven strategies and genuine relationships. During this recording or during this conversation, it was really clear that effective influence marketing isn't just about picking the right influencers, but it's really more about establishing genuine relationships with them and using data to guide your decisions. It's not just an influencer's followers, it's their community that you need to consider. And their community are the people that are engaging with them. That is really what you're looking at. That's why it's not follower account. It is all about the community that is engaging with them. The data is also important. 
it's just not the only thing. You have to dig into the nitty gritty analytics of each individual platform, which includes checking demographics, engagement rates, average view counts, and other platform specific metrics. So that's the data that you want to take a look at. Takeaway number two, patience and persistence is key. I cannot emphasize that enough, patience and persistence. I also think of consistency too, right? So influencer marketing is not really a one-off strategy. It's more of a long-term investment, and that's going to require patience and persistence and consistency. Brands really need to understand that success might not come immediately and that it's really crucial to build up momentum over time. That means book longer term contracts with at least, at least two deliverables. The influencers really have to tell the story and that doesn't happen with one picture or one post. Allow them to really build a genuine relationship with the brand to create more of that authentic content. Takeaway number three, content is king in influencer marketing. I'm a content marketing just lover. So I Influencer marketing is content and content is king. It's always going to be that. The type of content an influencer creates, how they present it, and how their audience engages with it are crucial factors to consider when choosing influencers to work with. Give them creative freedom with guidelines to keep them brand consistent with you as well as the brand, right? This gives them the ability to bring their unique touch to the content that they're creating. And that balance can really lead to more authentic content that resonates better with their community, who are all your prospective new customers. I would love to hear what you think. Follow and subscribe to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And yep, here's my shameless plug and request for reviews. If you are listening, hop on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Let other potential listeners know what you like about the podcast. Every kind word helps spread the marketing word. <laughs> and a special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team, Content Allies. Learn more about Lily by visiting the episode page. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.